Good morning. Welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. Uh, it's great to see everyone here this morning. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Our call to worship this morning is Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to, him, to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. You may be seated. We'd like to welcome all of our guests uh, this morning, and this morning we also have a guest filling the pulpit, uh, Dr. Adam Greenway. Uh, Dr. Adam Greenway is the dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions, which is actually the school that I went to at Southern Baptist, uh, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is also the former president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and he is married to Carla, and they have two children, Wade and Caroline. So it, it's a privilege to have Dr. Adam Greenway here this morning. Uh, we're thankful for, uh, for him preparing and, and ready to share God's word with us this morning. For all of our other guests, um, Certainly glad you are here. If you did, I hope you got a bulletin, and uh, there's a place in there for you. If you just fill that out and tear off that tab when the offering plate comes by, that can be your gift to us this morning. Uh, there's a lot of good things coming up, big things. We have our uh, our trunk retreat uh, at the end of the month. I, I got to plug this thing, uh, so sign up. We need trunks, uh, candy, lots of ways we can serve. Uh, we're expecting you know a huge turnout. So many kids, so many families. Such a great opportunity for us to connect with people in the community uh, and, and see how God works. It's always such a great way uh, to connect with the community. And I know we've seen fruit from that over the years and from last year. So find a way to serve uh, with that if you can. And we're we're so excited for everything today. And this time I'll hand it over to David. <coughs> The choir is going to sing now, and at the end of the choir special, I'm going to ask you to join with us, and you'll be ready to sing too.
Father, it's because of your greatness that we gather in this place today to worship you, to bend our knee, and to acknowledge that you are the true and the living God, and besides there is none other. You're all-powerful, you're almighty, you're worthy of all of our praise, and we come to lift our voices in this matter today. Father, thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. Thank you for this church, this church family. We thank you for the privilege of fellowship that we enjoy here, the teaching and studying of your word. Thank you for our guest speaker today. We pray that your anointing would be upon him. And as he shares your word, our Father, that our hearts would be stern, stirred and drawn unto you. We pray for those of our church family who are in sorrow and bereavement, for those that are facing surgeries, those that have special needs, and Father, those here today that do not know you as Savior and Lord. May this be the day they turn their hearts in repentance and faith and trust in you as our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. Lord, just a chance to give back just a small amount, Lord, that you have uh, so greatly bestowed on me. All these things, Lord, we ask in your name, Jesus' sweet name. Amen.
From the beginning I never knew Just how much I really needed you More than a friend, someone I could talk to You've changed me in so many ways No, nobody knows me like you You put your arms around me, you bring me Some know me well, still nobody knows me like you. All of my secrets to you I tell. You saw each time that I slipped and fell. And all of my faults, oh yes, you know them well. But you never turn me away, no. some know me well, still nobody knows me like you. Walking in your presence is where I want to be. You said in your word, you said that you would need me. Yes, I love you. Oh, I really love you. I'll go anywhere. As long as I know you'll be there. As long as I know I stood on the promises you have made. The way that I act, sometimes I am ashamed. But you never turn me away. No, nobody knows me like you. You put your arms around me, you bring me through. And there's many times I don't know what to do. Though some know me well, Still nobody knows me like you. Nobody knows me like you. You put your arms around me, you bring me through. And there's many times I don't know what to do. Though some know me well, still nobody knows me like you. Though some know me well, still nobody knows me like you. say what an absolute uh, joy and a delight it is to be here at Broadway Baptist Church on Harrodsburg Road on the Lord's uh, Day. This is a real treat uh, for me for a couple reasons. One is uh, what was not shared in my uh, introduction, very kindly by Brother Zach, is that uh, 16 years ago, this coming November 1st, I became a Kentuckian. Brother James, I tell people I wasn't born in Kentucky, I just got here as quick as I could. And when I moved to Kentucky, I came to Lexington to pastor the Baptist Church at Andover over off uh, Todd's Road, just south of Man of War, and was there five years as, uh, as a pastor before God called us to the seminary uh, full-time in 2007. I've been back over this way as interim pastor of Andover and was most recently interim pastor at Porter Memorial Baptist Church before their new pastor uh, came but I have driven by your church, I can't tell you how many times. I've seen your church going by on New Circle Road. In fact, I still go to the dentist over here off Pasadena, uh, David Smith. But I've never had the privilege of walking into your sanctuary until today. And this is a treat. Anytime I have the chance to come in to preach back in my old Kentucky home of Lexington, I take that as a great uh, honor uh, from the Lord. So uh, I appreciate your pastor inviting me to come and to uh, minister the Word of God on uh, the Lord's Day uh, here. I do want to bring a word of uh, greeting 
from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and particularly from the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry, where I serve as the uh, dean. Do you realize that the only graduate school, the greatest evangelist in the history of the church, ever allowed to carry his name, is located at your seminary in Louisville, Kentucky? And with that, that brings me to a word of gratitude to you. Uh, the cooperative program, which your church every week supports through the giving of your tithes and offerings and through the budgetary process, portion of that leaves your church and goes to fund the work of state missions and ministry through our Kentucky Baptist Convention. A portion of that goes on to the Southern Baptist Convention to fund the work of our International Mission Board, our North American Mission Board, and six seminaries spread across these United States including the Mother Seminary, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where this last year we ended the year with just under 5,500 students from undergrad through Ph.D. programs preparing for missions and ministry today. There are more people preparing for Christian service at Southern Seminary than any accredited seminary in North America. Now you think about that. When you think about Louisville, Kentucky is not the largest metropolitan area in the world. In fact, Kentucky is not the largest state in the world, and yet there are more people preparing for Christian service in Louisville, Kentucky at Southern Seminary than any other seminary in North America today. And every week as you give, you are helping to invest in what we do as we train prayerfully the pastors who will one day, if Jesus tarries, pastor your great-grandchildren. What we do matters. And your partnership with us matters. And so the first word I have whenever I come and preach, especially here in Kentucky, is a word of gratitude and thankfulness for what you do helps us to do what we do to see the kingdom of God advance. And so thank you for your giving. Thank you for your support of what we do at Southern Seminary. With that in mind, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning, either in print or electronic form, and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. The book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 this morning. And I'm preaching this morning on this subject. So why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10 is our text this morning. If you have found 2 Timothy 2, let me invite you, if you would, if you're able-bodied, let's stand back up one more time and honor the public reading of the Word of God together this morning. Can we do that? And let me just invite you to follow along in your hearts as I share this word from God's Word. This is 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10, and this morning I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. The Scripture says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. This is the word of our Lord. And thanks be to God. Let's bow prepared together this morning, shall we? Loving Father, we're so thankful for the blessing it is to be able to gather together as the local, visible church on the Lord's Day. We're so thankful, O oh God, for what you have already done in our midst here this morning, for the incredible time of music and singing and worship. And Father, we pray now for the time of worship that we know as proclamation. And God, I pray you would set me free now to preach and to teach your word. May nothing bind or hinder me from declaring your truth. Spirit of God, you challenge us, convict us, and God ultimately change us. Because we will have heard not a word from man, but a word from you. Help us to understand why we do what we do this morning. For we ask and we pray all these things by the Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all Broadway Baptist Church said, Amen. Please be seated and may God richly bless the reading and study of his word together this morning. The subject of uh, motivation. Uh, is one choir that has gotten a lot of attention in recent years. There's been a lot of uh, psychological studies and a lot of work done trying to figure out what motivates people. What, why do we do what we do? And there's been a lot of resources invested in, a lot of time and energy effort uh, put in to finding ways to more effectively motivate people to do what we want them to do. And that, but there's perhaps no realm where that's been more visible for us 
been in the realm of, uh, of athletics. Uh, I, I'm sure we've got some sports fans gathered here. We are in Lexington, Kentucky, of course, right? And the whole issue of um, what makes a winning team versus a losing team, yes, it's more than just the X's and O's. You've got to have the Jimmy's and the Joe's, as they've said. But I believe a lot of it also has to do with the attitude and the motivation that the team has when it comes to actually getting the job done. That's why those head coaches spend so much time during the week at practice trying to coach up the team, as it were. That's why they have that pregame speech in the locker room trying to motivate them. That's why you can see them oftentimes very animated on the sidelines trying to keep the team motivated in the game, no matter whether they're up by 21 or down by 21. And depending on where they are, by the time you get to halftime, there's always that halftime speech. You either say, let's keep the gas pedal down, guys, or, hey, we better get our heads together or it's going to be very bad, right? They don't just say, hey, guys, you just go out there and do what you want to do. Just go out and have fun, play the game. I'm not going to do anything, say anything. Y'all just go out there and do that. No, there, there's all the time the emphasis upon the attitude by which one takes on the task, the motivation that they have in terms of actually achieving the goal and accomplishing the result. Well, if that's true in the athletic realm, I would say it's even more true in the spiritual realm. Chuck Swindoll, the great preacher on the Inside for Living broadcast, has said that he believes the single greatest decision you and I can make on a daily basis as Christians is our choice of attitude. And he goes further to say that it is not nearly as important what happens to us as much as it is how I respond or how I react to what happens to me. And that's true, isn't it, choir and orchestra? I mean, let's be honest, there's very little in the course of my day that I have direct control over. Now, I love to think that I'm in control, right? I have the illusion of control. You know, I, I left my home in Bullitt County this morning and drove over here. And, you know, as soon as I got in my car and uh, punched the button and hit the gas pedal, you know, I feel like I'm in control until I get on I-64. And then I realize just how not in control I am. Because there's always going to be some person, we'll put it in a charitable sense, who may be distracted, may be texting and driving or doing something they shouldn't do, and all it would take would be some person to come across that media and come right into my car, and I'll realize just how not in control I really am. Like, literally, it's only by the grace of God any of us get anywhere on the highway these days. I like to think that I'm in control. I'm not really in control. But there is one thing I'm absolutely in control of, and that is my attitude, my choice of attitude. What kind of attitude ought to characterize Christians today? I'm drawn to this text here in the book of 2 Timothy, the last letter that Paul wrote this side of heaven. Timothy, of course, you know, was at this time the young senior pastor of the First Baptist Church at Ephesus. He was Paul's beloved son in the ministry. He'd been mentored and discipled by Paul. And here in this passage, these three verses, I believe Paul gives us three elements of attitude, three things that ought to help form and shape our motivation for what we do in the Christian life. And so in our few moments together, I really want to kind of zero in on these issues because I believe that if we as the, the church of the living God will really get behind these things in terms of our attitude and our motivation, it will change everything about who we are and what we do. Three aspects of motivation I want to give you this morning. First of all, why do we do what we do? It ought to be, first and foremost, because of our love for the Master. Our love for the Master. Verse 8, Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. Now stop, stop right there. Remember Jesus Christ. Literally, keep your focus, keep your attention on Jesus Christ. Now, that, now, does that not maybe strike you as just a little bit odd, choir? I mean, you think about Paul was writing to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor. He'd been discipled by Paul. If you read back in chapter 1, he had this godly heritage, this great lineage of faith with his mother and grandmother and such. Surely, Paul would know 
that Timothy, as a pastor, would never forget Jesus Christ. He'd always have his attention on Jesus Christ. Surely Paul would know that a pastor ought to know and remember these things, right? Wrong. The reality is, it's far too easy, even for those of us who are in the ministry, to become distracted and diverted, doing all the stuff, all the work that has to be done, that we can lose that first love, we can lose that vital sense of rich communion and relationship with Jesus Christ. I mentioned that since I left Andover as pastor and went to the seminary full-time, that I've served as interim pastor of churches. In fact, I've been interim pastor 13 times, 12 different churches in six different states. My motto is, have sermon, we'll travel, right? And I love being interim pastor because I love helping churches in times of transition because, candidly, most of our churches don't transition well. They don't know what to do in an interim time. One of the things I'll try to do is meet with the search committee early on and say, let's figure out what you think the pastor needs to, to be and do because, like the old line goes, where uh, two or three Baptists are gathered, there are at least four or five opinions present, right? And so let's figure out what we think the pastor needs to do. And I'll usually... We'll meet in a room with a whiteboard, and I'll get a marker, and I'll say, just start naming out the things you think a pastor ought to do. You know, well, he needs to be able to prepare great sermons and preach and counsel and administrate and be involved in the community and be involved in the denomination and be an evangelist and everything. Man, we'll fill up the whiteboard with all kind of stuff. And then I'll say, let's see if we can try to assign the amount of hours on average per week you think the pastor ought to do this. So, you know, prepare to preach great sermons, oh, 10, 20 hours a week, great. And engage in counseling, oh, 10 hours a week. And how about evangelism, oh, 5, 10, 12 hours a week. And we'll, we'll go through that exercise. And Brother James, it will be not too long. We'll have over 200 hours a week of stuff that people think the pastor ought to be and do. And that sounds really good until you stop and do the math and realize there are only 168 hours in a week. And they didn't include sleep. Eat. The expectations today on pastors can literally be mind-boggling. But I don't think it's anything new. I think the opportunity to be distracted from the main task was present even here, which is why the Spirit had to inspire Paul to say to Timothy, hey, remember Jesus. Before you're doing all the stuff, remember the one who literally demonstrated that he was who he said that he was by doing what he said he would do when he said, listen, if you want to know what I'm saying is true, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm coming right back to show you I can conquer the greatest enemy you'll ever face, death, sin. And he did it. Now, if that's true for pastors, you know, the professionals, the people who are, you know, supposed to know all these kind of things, can you imagine how much harder it is for all of us to keep our focus upon Christ? Because let's be honest, the reality of this old world is there's all kind of stuff happening out in the broader culture to be like sandpaper to do everything it can do to try to wear you down and wear you out and to rob from you and to steal from you the joy of your salvation in Jesus. If there's one thing that grieves me as a pastor, it's seeing Christians who are living beneath the privilege they have of walking in that rich, vital, daily communion with Christ. And if there's one thing that the devil knows that he can be far too effective in, it's to oftentimes get our eyes and our attention on everything else except on Christ. Our sufficiency is in Christ. We preach not religion or ritual, but Christ. And Christ is better than all the stuff. Now, at one point in our lives, evidently we believe that if we're Christians because we would have turned from our sin and repentance and trusted Jesus by faith alone to be our Lord and Savior. But do we still believe that today? Is Jesus enough today? I found that when we really have our hearts and our minds and our attention on Christ, it will drive us to want to have a greater sense of communion with Christ. Where you find Christians who have 
no desire for a quiet time, no desire to pray and seek the Lord, no desire to read their copy of God's Word, I believe you're finding Christians who have lost that sense of what it means to remember Jesus. When I meet people who say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I haven't attended church in years, and I've got no desire to go to church. You're finding people who have lost what it means to have their focus upon Jesus Christ, because if I'm truly saved, blood-bought, spirit-filled, and born again, then the Spirit of God who lives in me is going to want to be around that Spirit of God who lives in you, so how can I say that I don't want to be in church? And say that I'm right with God. Do we really remember Jesus? The real Jesus. The Jesus according to history. The Jesus who exactly as Paul said, risen from the dead, descended from David according to my gospel. Has there been that point in your life where you'd say if you were honest, I've been so busy doing the work. I've been so busy living the life. I've been so busy chasing the American dream. I've been so busy with everything else. But I'll be honest. I don't. Remember the time where I sensed the fullness of that vitality, of that personal relationship with Christ. Is Christ enough? But it's not just we need to remember the Master as part of our motivation. Secondly, we need not just remember the Master. Secondly, we need to remember the message. What ought to motivate us is our love for the message, right? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, verse 9, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Now, Bible scholars tell us, Paul was writing this in Roman prison, mid-60s A.D., as he's staring imminent death in the face. Literally, he's writing this saying, look, I, I'm, I'm suffering to the point of being bound like a criminal. By the way, choir, this ought to destroy that uh, false teaching that says, hey, your best life is going to be now. You're going to have all this prosperity. You're going to have all this ease of comfort of life and such. Listen, it was when Paul got saved that the hard time started. Shipwreck, beating, prison, false accusation, misrepresentation. Heartbreak. If you think your best life is going to be now, then whatever you've bought into is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says take up a cross, not take up the easy chair. The message. Even in the midst of the suffering, the persecution, yes, even the imprisonment that Paul went through, what I love about Brother Paul is there was never any sense of a desire to twist, subvert, corrupt, pervert, or distort the message. He never backs up, lets up, shuts up, or gives up, does he? All the way to the end, no matter what the cost was. Why? Because choir Paul knew what it was to be lost. And Paul knew what it was to be saved. And he never got over it. He was willing to suffer. In fact, he even says elsewhere, I would wish myself to be accursed for the sake of my brothers, Israel, that they would come to know Christ. It's the burden of a man who was so committed to the message of the gospel, the message of God's love, man's sin, and the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ that he was willing to go anywhere, do anything, anytime to see people come to have their lives changed. In fact, I would argue if, if, if there's one thing that differentiates the church in the New Testament from churches today, it is that sense of, of gospel urgency. This urgency to get the message out. And here's the sad fact. You know, we had it so good for so long that so many of us, we got fat, happy, and lazy. Metaphorically speaking. I mean, you think about it, there's a time where the church culture and the broader culture pretty much were going on parallel tracks, wasn't it? Some of you seasoned saints have been around long enough to remember a time where, you know, Sunday really was the Lord's Day. I mean, businesses shut down, restaurants shut down, you couldn't buy anything in a store, the old blue laws, that kind of stuff. Some of you remember times where schools didn't have ball games and practices on Wednesday nights because that was a church night, right? 
Some of you have been around long enough that if somebody would have told you 20 or 30 years ago, you know, the time's going to come where the courts will declare that you have to recognize as a marriage something other than one man and one woman in a single relationship. You'd have said, no, that'll never happen. Oh, maybe out in some crazy place like the left coast or up in Massachusetts or somewhere. That'll never happen in Kentucky. And by the way, I'm not a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I'll do till a prophet comes. If Jesus tarries, cheer up. The worst is yet to come. You can mark it down. We had it so good for so long, we got fat, happy, and lazy in terms of sharing the gospel and seeing people saved. And now we're entering into a culture to where not only are we not on parallel tracks, we're moving in very different directions. If you want to run the risk of generating the resistance and the ire of the culture, just mention the name of Jesus. Mention that you happen to believe that people are lost and doomed in darkness and that the only Savior is Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you're going to be labeled as one of these politically correct, ignoramus, narrow-minded, bigoted, fundamentalist types, to which I just smile and say, guilty as charged. Not because of me. In fact, I haven't changed. The word hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. What's changed has been a culture. The 21st century is going to look a whole lot more like the 1st century. Go back and read the book of Acts. Read about the kind of opposition and persecution and misrepresentation that went on. We're going to find out what it's going to be like to live and work and engage in gospel service in a culture that is far less sympathetic to what we believe and who we are than perhaps any time in the history of our country. In fact, there will be more attempts to try to chain or bind the Word of God now than ever before. But let us remember, just as Brother Paul says, writing in that Roman prison cell, but the Word of God cannot be bound. No matter what governments may try to do, no matter what the press and the pundits and the prognosticators might try to do, no matter what all the experts might think, every generation has had those who have tried to eradicate or exterminate Christianity or who have said that this is going to be the generation where people will turn up, turn away from the faith. And yet in every generation, the gospel continues to go forth in power, changing lives and advancing the cause of Christ. Now, is it harder today? You bet you it is. Do we have more challenges today? Yes. I'm not a prophet nor a prophet's son, but let me tell you what I think is coming. It's not going to be that too, too far in the distance where we're going to see attempts to try to do more things to suppress and shut down churches that are believing and preaching the truth. Like, for example, having your tax-exempt status threatened, your 501c3 status threatened. And there's some people who say, oh, that'll never happen. Well, yeah, we, there are things we didn't think would happen that have happened in front of us, and I'm telling you, it's coming. We're already seeing that in places like Colorado and other states where they're trying to tax churches and where politicians are always looking for easy money and always looking to assign and shift blame. We're going to become an easier group to target and marginalize if we hold fast to the convictions of our faith. And by the way, if you don't think it'll matter about the, your tax-exempt status, let me remind you of the two things that flow out of that. One is it means those of you who give, if you itemize your uh, taxes at the end of the year, you get to deduct a portion of your tithes and offerings off your tax bill. That's why December is usually a really good month in giving in the church, right? Moreover, that 501c3 status has had benefits that flow down to people like the Fayette County PVA that says that this church property does not have to pay Fayette County property tax. Can you imagine how your budgetary responsibilities would change if you had to write a property tax bill every year to the Fayette County PVA to pay for this space, this prime real estate here at the corner of Harrodsburg Road, Nicholasville Road, that a lot of folks would love to have this property to do other things with and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had it so good for so long. But to quote that great theologian Bob Dylan, the times, they are a-changing. We better be ready to decide that we really love the message enough we're willing to suffer for it, even when there's a cost. And that leads me to my third point, not just what should motivate us to be our love for the master, 
and our love for the message. But thirdly and lastly, it ought to motivate us because of our love for the mission. Our love for the mission. Verse 9, but the word of God is not bound. Verse 10, this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, there's a lot of hue and cry and controversy and consternation about terms like election in our circuit today. This is not a sermon on the doctrine of election, of course. Let me make two very salient points for your benefit this morning. Number one, Paul had a better understanding of the doctrine of election than you. And all God's people said, Amen. Number two, whatever his doctrine of election was, not only was it not a hindrance to his evangelism, but it was the motivation for his evangelism. And all God's people said, Amen. And unfortunately, what's happened has been, we try to find ways on all sides of the various theological issues to find ways to give us a spiritual excuse as to why we don't have to engage in evangelism and missions. And it's been on all sides. We've been declining in baptisms and Baptist churches for 40 years, even as the population of America has doubled in that time. That's not just theology. That's apathy and indifference. Survey after survey continues to say that between 90 and 95% of professing Christians will live their Christian lives and never win one person to faith in Jesus Christ. God have mercy on us. In fact, sadly, out of our nearly 50,000 Southern Baptist churches, about a quarter of them will make it through this church year. And when they fill out their annual church profile next year, we'll have to report, sadly, that they did not baptize a soul. Zero. Zero. Now, I mean, let's be honest. At what point do you say, we no longer have a church here? If you can make it through an entire church year and not see one person profess faith in Christ, not see one person scripturally baptized, then you don't have a church, you've just got a country club with a cross on top. Something is wrong. And it ought to grieve us. But you know what else ought to grieve us? When we look around in a sanctuary as beautiful as this, and we see empty seats in the pews. You know what I believe every empty seat in these pews represents? Somebody in this part of Lexington that has not yet heard the message of the gospel. They've not yet been personally invited to come and be a part of what God is doing here at Broadway. They've not yet been invested in enough to hear that somebody loves them and wants them to come and experience the same kind of life change that they've experienced. And it's easy to say, oh, that's why we pay the pastor. That's his job. Listen, one man can't do the work that God's given to the church. No pastor can do everything. And in fact, it's not his job description either. Read Ephesians 4, where the Bible says that the job of the pastor is not to do all the work of the ministry, but to equip the saints so together we can do the work of the ministry. God can't expect one man to do the work of 300. But could you imagine what would happen if the 300 decided we're going to get serious about the mission God's given to us? I mentioned I've driven by your church for almost 16 years. And there are a lot of churches around the parks who can complain about what they don't have. Have you ever stopped to think about what you have here at Broadway? Seriously, you've got one of the most enviable locations in Fayette County for your church building where tens of thousands of cars pass by the interchange at Harrodsburg Road, New Circle Road every day, and they can see this church clearly from New Circle and Harrodsburg Road. You're sitting off one of the major arteries into downtown Lexington. Turns into Broadway, right? Goes uptown. You're sitting in a side of Lexington that people are moving to and want to move to. You go south of New Circle, and man, there's subdivisions and people and lostness 
And God in his sweet providence put Broadway Baptist Church right here with this incredible facility, this rich history, this beautiful sanctuary, all the stuff. And God in his sweet kindness called you to salvation. And if you're a church member into the membership of this church, not just to take up a seat, not just to come for a blessing, but to fulfill the mission. And that is it ought to be as much as it humanly depends upon us, we're going to make it as impossible as we possibly can for anybody in our zip code, in this part of the 405, to die and go into a Christless eternity because they didn't hear the message of the gospel because we were not living on mission here. It ought to break our hearts. The lostness in this zip code and in this part of Lexington. Inquire, if we don't go and tell them about Jesus, who will? We can wait for the Muslims to do it? Or Jehovah's false witnesses? Or the Mormons? Or some church that's not preaching the gospel? If not Broadway, then who? And if not now, then when? With all that God has given to you, Christ, the gospel, the mission. How can we not say, let's go do it? It's been said that there are three downward spirals of attitude, what somebody called shining, whining, and reclining. Shining is when we take too much pride in what we do. You ever met a Baptist who could strut sitting down? Whining is when we're always in self-pity, talking about what's wrong, woe is us. Reclining is when we sit back thinking somehow we're owed, somehow that I'm doing you a favor just by showing up, Pastor. You're here to take care of me. Let's replace shining, whining, and reclining. We're doing everything we can to live a life that says we really do love the master. We love the message. We love the mission. As much as it depends upon us, we're going to have an attitude that says, let's go do it. Will you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Loving Father, we're so thankful for the blessing it is to be able to be here. Father, not one person here by accident, but everyone by divine appointment. So thankful, O oh Lord, for the truth of your word and for the way that it speaks to us, life-changing, powerful, penetrating truth, truth without any mixture of error. Father, I pray for these dear people. Lord, I know what your desire is of how you want to see this church thrive, advance, help push back the darkness and lostness here in this part of Lexington and Fayette County and beyond. Lord, it's going to take all of us to make that happen. Lord, I pray that you would use this message to give us an attitude check this morning. And Father, if needed, an attitude adjustment. I pray, oh God, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, oh God, may today be that day of life change. Father, for those who need to make other decisions, that you would give them grace to respond. We commit this invitation to you, oh Lord, use it for your glory. Do business in our hearts and lives right here and right now we pray in jesus name maybe you're here this morning and you don't know christ as your personal savior and lord there's never been a point in your life where you've turned from your sin and repentance and you've trusted jesus by faith alone to be your savior we want to extend to you an invitation and it's not merely our invitation but it is his invitation to come and to receive christ in a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of response brother zach will be here at the front to receive you if you're here this morning and you are not sure if your life is right with God, on his terms, not our terms, you come. Share it with Zach and let him share with you how you, how you can experience the life change that only Jesus gives. Not religion, not ritual, but relationship this morning. I pray you'll come. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm, I know I'm saved. I'm looking for a church home. Boy, what a great Sunday to say. I want to become part of the family of faith called Broadway.
going to share that with Zach. We'll see what it takes to make that happen. But if you're a church member here this morning, we call this Harvest Sunday. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful. <laughs> and heaven knows the labors are far too few. God did not preserve and protect this church just to be a safe place to congregate on Sunday. He calls you to be a people who live on mission every day because of that love for the master and for the message to see Lexington change for Christ. Does Lexington need Jesus? You better believe it. And I'm telling you, if we could channel half as much passion for the gospel and for the mission as we do to cheer on the big blue nation, I'm telling you, we'd see revival, wouldn't we? Why can't we? Do you really love him? Do you love his message? Do you love his mission? Our friend serves as an altar. You can spend some time here with the Lord in prayer. If Zach would pray with you, I know he'd love to do that. Why don't we stand together very reverently? Brother Dale, you lead us. As we stand together and sing, you need to come. The altar is open. Zach's here. As we sing, you come. Zach, tell us what the Lord's done today. Thank you. We have two coming to join the church by statement of faith uh, this morning uh, and transfer of membership. So uh, we're very excited. Miss Charlotte Hall and Miss Michelle, what's your last name? Kokich. Uh, Michelle Kokich. So we're very uh, glad for them to join us this morning. Uh, and, and if you uh, would, if you'd like to, if you in your approval and in, in the church, uh, welcome them uh, and join. Please say amen. 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 So we're taking care of a couple of uh, uh, internal things, filling out some things. But uh, at this time, uh, David, if, if you could, David will dismiss us uh, in music and then we will have a, a receiving line. Uh, for those joining this morning. So come, welcome them to the church. Let them know uh, we're glad that they are coming to Broadway. And uh, let's help them plug in and be a part of serving uh, this community. Thank you. Let's stand here. Let's stand here. We're going to sing the chorus of Jesus Loves Me, a cappella. A cappella. Here we go. Yes, Jesus loves me. 